Oh, Father, what a, oh, what a powerful name. Lord, I, I thank you for your music and that we get to worship through it. I thank you how it just speaks to our soul. That you speak to our soul through your Son. And I thank you for these people in this room. And I thank you for the people that love you and have put their heart in their, in their being in your name. Lord, I pray that as we go forward that you would speak loud in worship and that I would be quiet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Worship. Worship. I'm telling you right now, you need to hold on tight. See, I listened to Billy Graham yesterday and a guy named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. I'm telling you right now, if you have not heard this man in his sermon, That's My King, you have got to go to YouTube and search it because it is powerful. It's probably one of the most powerful five minutes that I've ever listened to in my life. And you see, as we talk about worship, I believe that God has put this in my heart and in my soul to worship Jesus through the preaching that I do. And I feel like if I don't preach the way God has called me, the way the Spirit is moving in me, then I am not preaching the way God has designed me. And today, that's my desire to speak the way the Spirit is moving inside of me. And if I do anything else, it is not worship. And I challenge us as the church to live as the church in worship. So turn your Bibles today to John 4, and we're going to start in verse 20. And we so often, we think of worship as just music, and, and how powerful was that music. I think I could have just sat there and listened as, as you guys sang behind me, and as they sang in front of me, in this surround sound of worship to our King But worship is deeper than that. You see, worship is rightly giving God glory in the Spirit through Jesus Christ. Rightly. This word, rightly. God has told us exactly how He wants to be worshipped in His Word. And worship is not about our life, but the life of Jesus Worship is not about us, but loving God and loving others. Worship is not just about reading this Bible, but letting the Bible penetrate our soul. Worship is not about giving our money and our service, but joyfully giving to God what is already His. Worship is not praying because we have to, but praying because we're in awe of the Creator of the universe and the fact that He even listens to us. Worship is not music done half-heartedly, but but worship is doing music in a way that honors the King of everything. Man, we are singing to a King. Worship is not just words from this pulpit, but a, but a response to God. A response from you that drives action in our lives. Worship is not just a cracker and some grape juice, but a remembrance. A remembrance of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The blood shed on Calvary. Worship is not just taking a bath, but, but this symbol of being born again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so many things can look a lot like worship. 
But God, He wants our heart. And the only way that we truly worship is having a heart that's in love with Jesus. And worship has always been misunderstood. It's not a place that we worship, a temple that we worship, a church that we worship. We worship with our faith in Jesus Christ. John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. God, He listens to those that are His. And now you may say that that as somebody's coming to Christ, they may be a sinner, but I can tell you, when they've been repentant and they're coming to Christ, it's not just a prayer. It's the heart that has changed for Jesus. And we see this woman at the well. This Samaritan woman. The Samaritans, they only had the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus, He's doing what Jesus does. is He's crossing these cultural boundaries in order to reach everyone in the world. And He's talking to a woman, and not just any woman, a Samaritan woman, a half-breed Samaritan woman. And why she had five husbands, that's for another sermon. But, but Jesus, right now, He knows her heart. And Jesus, He goes to her. And He knows that she's going to hear the message and that she's going to respond to the message. And worship is about hearing and and responding to it. John 4.20, the the woman at the well is speaking. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What mountain is she talking about? It's this Mount Gerizim. It's the same mountain that Father Abraham and Jacob built altars on. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was, was sworn in by Solomon at least 300 years after Deuteronomy was written by Moses. And worship at the time of Christ in this first century, it was divided. There was this racial tension between the Israelites and the Samaritans and the Romans, of course. These Samaritans, they... They occupied this area, formerly belonging to Ephraim and this half-tribe of Manasseh. It's directly north of Judea and Jerusalem and south of Galilee. And the, the Jews, they hated this area. They hated it because the king of Assyria sent foreigners into the area to marry the Israelite population. And these Israelites, they started worshiping the idols of these foreigners. They finally turn to God when He allows these lions to show up. And I don't know about you, but if a lion's in my face, I'm probably going to turn to God. But they only did it partially. And they worshipped this mixture of Judaism and and idolatry. And their their knowledge was incomplete. And the woman at the well, she knows what Genesis says when when God, He calls Abraham to worship near Shechem in Genesis 12.7. And Jacob, he builds an altar near Shechem. Shechem is is near this mountain, Mount Gerizim. Genesis 33.20. Then he, Jacob, erected an altar and called it El Elohi Yisrael, which means the mighty God of Israel. So this woman at the well, she has this understanding of God, but her knowledge is incomplete. And I plead with us to not let our knowledge be incomplete, but to let it be complete in Jesus and understanding who he is. John 4, 21-22, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
See, if you are a Samaritan, Moses is a big deal. I mean, Moses is a big deal. Deuteronomy 34.10, And there was not arisen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So Moses is a big deal, but Jesus is saying, man, there's some important stuff that you are missing out. Something is incomplete in your theology. You must understand this. And if we look at the last book in the, in the Jewish Bible, 2 Chronicles, these are the last words. Chapter 36, verse 23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and He has charged me to build Him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of His people, may the Lord His God be with Him. Let Him go up. You see, we can look at it with another perspective. We can look at it with this last book that was written, Malachi, the last book in our Bible. And it goes even a little bit further. And it speaks of something greater than Moses. The day of the Lord. Salvation is from the Jews, and more importantly, one Jew, and that is Jesus. Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Man, Jesus is talking to her. And he's talking about what it says in Malachi. What it's saying here in this, this last verse in your Bible. Jesus is saying that we don't need a place to worship. He's saying you have me. John 4, 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. And what happens? What happens? She responds in worship. She goes down and she can't hold it back and she tells everybody that she has seen the Messiah and he knows her. And does Jesus know you? Man, when we hear this message, do we respond? Do we respond? And I broke down worship into nine categories, and it encompasses all of this discipleship process that we are called to be a part of. It starts like this. The life we live, the love we give, the word in our souls, giving joyfully, praying in awe, music to a king, preaching and responding, communion of remembrance, Baptism symbolizing. Number one, our life is worship to Jesus. John 4, 23 through 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship the Father? I mean to truly worship God. First of all, God is spirit. I mean, God is everywhere. He's not confined by the walls of this church. He's not confined by a temple. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus, Gentiles and Jews are on equal footing. And God, He is located in our hearts. And worship is this passion as we feel the spirit moving through us. In our life. 
But that's not just it. We have this truth. John says that we should worship in truth. In spirit without truth leads to lies. In truth without spirit is lifeless. Verse 24 is very clear. We must. We must. We must. We must worship in spirit and in truth. We should have this passion for Jesus that pours out of us. But we should also have this biblical knowledge of who Jesus is. And know Him at the same time. And I understand that our knowledge will never be complete. This side of glory. This side of heaven. But this basic understanding of who Jesus is. We must understand that God is Jesus. And Jesus is God. The Trinity. You see, because only a God can save us. And Jesus, He must also be understood as Savior. And if somebody's going to be a Savior, we must understand that we need a Savior. And as I go through this next part, I think it's, it's so scary. I mean, you can be the most spiritual person around. You can speak boldly in the name of Jesus. But if you have a false understanding of who Jesus is, it's not worship. Now stay with me. This does not pertain to, to a certain population. I mean, my cousin, who has Down syndrome and autism and, and is nonverbal, I truly believe that he will be in heaven someday. And a child that passes away, I truly believe that they are in the presence of Jesus right now. But if you're walking around and you say that you've got a, a word from God, that you are getting signs from God, and it does not match up with what this Bible says, then it is not worship. If you do not believe in Jesus as your Savior, then God does not work in your actions, and it is not worship. Man, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my Savior. And when Jesus Christ is my Savior, my actions speak worship. And if you don't have knowledge of who Jesus is, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, God does not see it as worship. And that's one of my greatest fears as a pastor. Man, there's times, and last night it kept me up. When we have a relationship, when we have a relationship that's, that's based in spirit and in truth, it should manifest itself with this overwhelming love for God and others in the church. Number two, do you love God and do you love others? I saw this quote this week from Ann Ortland, who wrote the book, Up With Worship, How to Quit Playing Church. Now, as I read it, please read this like it was written during a pre-COVID world. She says this, Christians can be grouped into two categories, marbles and grapes. Marbles are single units that don't affect each other except in collision. Grapes, on the other hand, mingle juices. Each of the parts are fragrance of the church body. The early Christians didn't bounce around like marbles, ricocheting in all directions. No, they were this picture as cluster of ripe grapes squeezed together by persecution, bleeding and mingling in to one another. 
She goes on to say that fellowship and worship is genuine Christianity freely shared among God's family members. It's sad to think of how many Christians today are missing this kind of closeness. Sermons and songs, while uplifting and necessary, provide only part of the vital church encounter. We need involvement with others too. If we roll in and out of church each week without acquiring a few grape juice stains, we haven't really tasted the sweet wine of fellowship. And then I say, if we're going to be a strong church, if we are going to truly live as the church, we need to live together in love, treating each other with love, respect, and humility, and that is worship. When we have empathy for one another, our God, He sees it as worship. And I'm talking to you mamas right now, but it applies to dads. I mean, what would be the greatest gift that your children could give you? And my guess is that would be one day, maybe one week where they can just get along. Right? They can, they can not fight. It bothers me so much to see my children not getting along, to see them fighting. When I know they're capable of so much more, and the same holds true for my church, for our church. We love you guys. And want you guys to love one another. And hold on tight to Jesus and to hold on tight to one another as we walk through this life together. As we walk together in love. Love begins with this overwhelming love for God. Deuteronomy 6, 4-6, through the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your soul, and with all your heart. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Part of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might is loving each other. You see, I don't think that we can love God and not love one another. I don't think that we can love God and not love one another in this community. I don't think that we can love God and not love one another in this United States or even in this world. Man, Jesus commands it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, And if Jesus commands it, then it is worship. Do we have a passion for God? Do we have a passion for people? Do we have a love for the Word? A Word that gives us direction. It's the playbook that we have as we, as we walk through this life close to Jesus Christ and as we worship Him. Number three, do you have passion for the Word? I love what Psalm 119, 103 says. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Man, if you were a Jewish boy back in the days of Jesus, they would give you this slate. And on this slate, they would write the alphabet, and then they would write two verses. Leviticus 1.1, which says that the Lord called Moses. And Deuteronomy 33.4, which basically says that God entrusts the Torah to the people, the Israelites. And then it had one sentence. The Torah will be my calling. Is Jesus my calling? This word that He has given us is worship my calling. 
And then I love, the teacher would read this and he would coat it with honey and the children would lick it off and they would be reminded of Ezekiel 3.3. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Man, when we read the Word of God, does it satisfy like honey? And I don't know about you, Pretty much every day I break out my phone and I waste 30 minutes to an hour just reading articles. And when I put my phone away, I just feel like I've wasted my life. But when I read the Word of God, even when I'm struggling through it, even when it's difficult, I've never put away my Bible and thought that was a waste of my time. I always leave going, God has penetrated my soul and the Word of God is like honey to it. It is worship when we read our Bibles and when it penetrates our soul and when it transforms who we are. It has that type of properties. And does the Word of God drive a humility in you? Does it give you a humble heart? A humble heart that has so much desire to give back our time and our money. You see, are you a joyful giver? Now, this isn't a sermon about giving. In fact, we do not want your money or your time. Because it's not your time. And it's not your money. God has been so gracious to give it back to us. Everything we have is God's and we are so blessed to be able to manage it. And when we give reluctantly, that's not worship. God does not need your money. He owns everything. And God, He will provide for His purpose. God will provide for this church as long as we preach the Word of God and we worship Him rightly. See, God does not need you. God does not need you. He wants you. God wants you. Have you ever thought about how powerful that is? That the Creator of everything wants you. Leviticus 27.30 Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. You see, a heart that gives because we believe that we have to or believe that it saves us is not a heart of worship. This church, FBC, does not need your money. God will provide but we can be something so much greater as we work together as a church, as the body of Christ to reach the people in this world. Man, if we are going to live as the church, if we are going to be strong moving forward as the church, we must come alongside of each other and not just do church, but be the church. Amen. Not because we want credit. Because we are on mission to give God credit. And we want so desperately to do His plan in everything that we do. And we want so desperately to, to be part of His plan for eternity. Man, I want to be a part of a church that's just so often, that so desperately wants to work together. As we develop a plan to use the money that God has given us. And as a church, we will never retire. 
all this money that we have, we can spend it with this missional mindset. This mindset of worship as we reach out to the world through this discipleship process. You see, our money, the money that God has given us must always be given with this idea to give God glory. And I believe that we can buy into that, pun intended. You see, a church that trusts in God with its finances, a church that uses its money to bring people to Jesus. I mean, even when we plow the, the parking lot, is it done with the idea to bring people to Jesus? I see new people in this church today. Are they hearing the word of God? That's what must be done in this church. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God, He is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, I want this church so desperately, Pastor Bill and I want this church so desperately to be a church that reaps bountifully. And not in this money, not in holding on to it, but in souls that love Jesus. And I truly believe that is a right mindset. That is right worship. Focused on heavenly reasons. And we are so blessed when we are focused on God and not some of these other things. But invest in the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom of God. And we must always ask ourselves, is what we're doing, is it in God's will and not what makes us comfortable? Is everything we do reaching out to people for Jesus? And then we do none of these things without prayer. I look around and I see prayer warriors in this church. But all of you, all of you, when you worship, when you worship rightly, your prayers are heard. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, He wants to hear our desires, but more importantly, He wants to see your desires line up with His. When our desires line up with God's, this is how we know that we are truly worshiping Him. When we pray with passion. When we pray with passion, we do it when we know Jesus. When we pray in truth, it's when we know Jesus. When we pray selflessly, it's when we know Jesus. And then God answers, and it is worship. You see, the kingdom will come. And our focus needs to be on those people that need to know what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ. And prayer warriors, you are so important in this discipleship process. This circle of rescue, transform, and mature is worshiping God. Telling people about Jesus is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And then this music that we hear is such a part of that. It prepares the heart. It transforms us as we're, we're ready to, to come to Jesus. 
Do we do our music in this church like we are singing for the one and only King of everything? Psalm 98.4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. A joyful noise. That's probably not me. I mean, it's a good thing you hear me preach and not sing. But I think God sees the melody of our heart and not the quality of our voices. Now, if you are one of our musicians and you sing beautifully, man, it is a gift. It is a gift from God and do not take it for granted and use it for right worship. What a blessing. But that does not mean that God does not enjoy the rest of us. Are we singing with everything in our hearts? Now, that may look different in different churches. You see, I'm probably a closet Pentecostal. I don't know if you've watched Tim Hawkins' little act on, you know, the worship hands. You see, if you watch me up here, I often have my hands in my pockets. I kind of wiggle my arms a little bit here, the elbow flap, you know, and... I really think it's just because i got to keep them under control. Or they're going to come out and they're going to carry the TV, the big screen. Man, I'm, I'm so scared. That... But I feel like I'm squashing the Spirit. When all I want to do is shout with my actions as loud as I can, touchdown. I pray as a church, man, that maybe, just maybe, if God's calling you, you can do the little kid that isn't quite sure if he knows the answer in class. Really what I'm asking you is just to move the way the Spirit is telling you. Move the way the Spirit is telling you. If He's not telling you to raise your hand, then don't. Don't. But if He's telling you to to wash the window, then do it. Because if you're not washing the window and He's telling you, you are squashing the Spirit in your life. And I want a church where everybody feels welcome. Because Jesus has spoken. And Jesus loves you. Where is the Spirit leading you? Please don't hold back your worship. And that's in our preaching also. When we preach, how do you respond? And preaching is worship in so many ways. It's this passion and this proclamation in spirit and in truth. And you have this role, and you, your role is obviously to listen and, and to respond. But I'm telling you, it would be nice every once in a while, and Judy's really good at it, for a little verbal acknowledgement. You see, Pastor Billy tells me this story about this guy that used to stand back in the church when he was in his charismatic days. And the guy would sit back there, and every once in a while, he'd yell at, from the belly, Pastor. Let's maybe not do that one. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it would be nice to get an amen every once in a while. Let's make sure I'm talking about Jesus when you do it and not roping cows or something. (laughs) I have no idea how to rope cows, so I'm probably not going to preach about that. I mean, maybe if I did, I mean, you guys could say amen. I don't know. Maybe you guys that are roping cows, but I'm off topic. I'm sorry. 
My prayer is that you don't do anything because you feel the need, but you do everything because the Spirit is moving inside of you. God does not want our fake worship. He wants real worship. Real worship. Man, He is the King of the world. I mean, He saved you from a fiery furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you ask my wife, that is probably the worst thing she could think of. But we often, we get more excited about a football game or our favorite football player, Go Bills. <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> we get more excited about movie stars or Princess Diana than we do the creator of the universe. And I'm not telling us to run sprints around this sanctuary like I saw in Omaha when I went to a Pentecostal church. But occasional, yeah, and a smile and a nod of your head. And where is your heart? Let your heart come out in your face and in your expressions and what you do. Man, we are worshiping Jesus who shed his blood on Calvary. And he took all the burdens of your sins and my sins for all time. The least we can do is acknowledge him. Or in certain times, just be quiet. And be in awe as we remember what he did that day. As we partake in communion together. Are you a believer? Have you surrendered your life? To Jesus Christ. Because you can't feel any of this unless you have. You can't understand what it means to truly worship, to feel the Spirit moving inside of you until you know Jesus, until you know Him on this relational level. Man, when I came to Jesus, it was like this transformation. Something happened. All of a sudden, that guy speaking up there, it was different. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Don't wait another day. Not one more second, because the Holy Spirit is driving inside of you, and He is calling you and saying, Come to me, and I will love you just the way you are. And I will never love you any less. I will always love you the same as you grow closer to Jesus. Man, that is worship. That is worship. And do we have a heart of worship as we take this communion in reverence and understand what he did? It's not just a cracker and juice. It's symbolizing Jesus giving up everything and suffering on a cross. Isaiah 53, 5. But He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Today, you can be healed. Wherever you're at, whether you're on TV or you're sitting in this room, today you can be healed. And you can feel the Spirit moving in this passion. And you can worship rightly. And when we understand the magnitude of what Jesus did on that day, we should be baptized. Amen. I mean, Pastor Bill and I, 
we got to baptize Larry on Thursday. Now that is worship. Larry coming to Jesus three years ago when I thought he was dead, lying in a bed at our hospital. And in my head I'm going, this is useless. He can't even hear me. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will move in his heart at that moment in time. And I'm praying that he will be saved. And guess what? He heard me. And he gave his life to Jesus on that day. And that is worship. When you give your life to Jesus, you are His. You are His property in baptism, especially since Pastor Bill showed up. Man, it is a celebration. Man, if you come to Jesus, let's fill that thing up right now and let's baptize. Let's go down to that river. As cold as it is, we'll go in there and we will baptize. That's what this Bible tells us to do. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait, man. Worship is best described, and I hope I covered everything. But quite frankly, everything in your life should be worship. It's discipleship process as we grow closer to Jesus Christ, as we share our faith with others. Man, we are rescued because somebody loved us enough to share their faith about Jesus with us. And then we are dedicated. Our life is Jesus. And we give of our hearts and we enter into this relationship and we discover the Word and we are connected with Jesus in our prayers. And we desire His music and His Word being preached and, and remembering Jesus through these sacraments of communion and baptism. And every one of them is this never-ending journey of learning how to properly worship Jesus and to grow closer to Him. And there should always be a response. I'm telling you, there is no response. There is no worship. And God knows if you are here and your heart is somewhere else, God knows it. And I ask you to put your heart right here. Put your heart right now with Jesus. He deserves that kind of worship. Where is your actions? Where is your response? I heard the story about Francis Chan. He's speaking on discipleship and he compares it to his daughter. And she's, he tells her, tells her to go clean her room. And he goes on to say, right? She comes back to him and she says, you know, I, I learned how to say it in Greek and Hebrew. Or I put together this Bible study and, and, and we went in there and we, we discussed how we should clean our room. Is that what we call discipleship? Is that what we call worship? Because truth must be carried out in spirit as we go to the world. Man, this church... Those Bible studies, learning Greek and Hebrew, they are great things and they are training process and they are worship. But if it stays there, we're not doing what God has called us to do. You see, worship is cleaning her room because we love our God and we are in obedience to Him. Do we do the same when we worship God? Worship must be viewed as everything in our life. 
And discipleship is this mission that's laid out for the church. The two must go hand in hand. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age. If you want Jesus to be with you, go. Worship is forever. Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. From everlasting to everlasting. Not when we feel like it. Or when Jesus works for us. Jesus is not Tony Robbins. Now, if you read Tony Robbins' work, I mean, there's some good stuff that he probably stole from the Bible. And he probably packaged it for secular audiences. But Jesus, Jesus is more than Tony Robbins. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is not a motivational speaker. Jesus saves our soul. The Bible is not just about becoming a better person. It's about being dead and becoming alive in Jesus. And I believe that God, Jesus, is worth our worship and so much more. And I don't even know how to describe it. Worship is forever and forever. From this moment on, if you accept Jesus, from this moment on, you can understand what it means to worship. And if you've been living a life that is not rightly worshiping Jesus, from this moment on, you can live your life in worship. And I think, and I believe, and I know we are able to do this. Psalm 113.2 Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever more. From this time forth and forever more. Romans 12.1 And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that we will find acceptable. This, this is truly the way to worship Him. Do we give our lives to God? God wants our lives, our lives, our worship to God. And what do we do with it? What do we say? Psalm 145, 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all the flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Man, do our words speak Jesus forever and ever. And maybe you're online. I challenge you, share this with the rest of the world. And if you aren't comfortable talking, share what I'm saying. I'll be your voice. As you learn how to share Jesus with others, as you go through this discipleship process, as you grow closer and closer to who Jesus is. And I get it, learning Greek and Hebrew and hanging out in Bible study groups, they're, they're great, but... Man, do you know Jesus? It's great to be in church, but do you know Jesus? And don't for a second think that Jesus needs our worship. God does not need you. We need Him. Worship is what God deserves, and our hearts were designed to worship. 
God designed us to worship. That's why the world is always looking for something. Something to feel that, that hole that's in their heart that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. God made us that way. God made us to worship. And so I plead with you today, the first step is to come to Jesus and to make a decision that I'm going to live the rest of my life focused on who Jesus is, live a life of right worship. Don't wait. Don't wait. Because that life in Jesus, sometimes it's difficult, but every second is worth it. Every second. And we got a lot of seconds because we worship forever. I'm pleading with you. Love Jesus. The Spirit is moving. Don't, don't deny it. Don't deny it. I pray this. That's what I pray. Father. I don't even know if there are words to pray. I just come to you and, and, and just thank you. I love you. And I pray that you will just help us understand what this even means to worship. That you will help us understand, that you will help us understand what the Spirit is doing in our heart. That you will help us to grow closer to your Son. And that we can truly put our foundation in Jesus. And that will drive this life that is so abundant in your Son. God, I pray for those that maybe, aren't, that maybe don't know you today. And I pray right now that they would just listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. And that they would know you on this day. That this day would be the day, the, the transformation of their life. Wherever they may be. That today that hole in their heart would be filled. And that their focus would be on something greater. Something perfect, something infinite. And that's your son. Lord, I pray for salvation. For anybody that hears these words move in their heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.